Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at iCloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Don't you love when you get to sing about the great truth that you've experienced in your life? How many of you can say today for certain that God has been good to you all the days of your life? Amen. And when the psalmist said, the lines, the plots of my life have fallen in pleasant places, sometimes it takes us a little longer to come around to that idea, doesn't it? Uh, when, the, when the plot and the line, the season that we're going through is difficult, you know? Um, but looking back, wouldn't you say looking back, some of the most difficult times, some of the most impossible moments of your life, uh, you look back on and see that God has been good and faithful to you all along. I was sitting there thinking about getting to worship by Joe, and uh, man, y'all hear Joe singing, clapping, dance. It's, it's amazing how little Joe is worshiping the Lord over there and, and having my daughter beside me. It's nothing like worshiping the Lord together. And I was thinking about, you know, the last line, of that, one line of that song says, um, your goodness is running after me. You thought about that much? Your goodness is running after me. Now, the Psalm 23, the shepherd Psalm, <clears throat> the last line of that says, surely goodness and mercy, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness, he says, surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow me. Now listen, uh, I was reading some rabbinical writings, and they, they say that in that shepherd's psalm, goodness and mercy, the goodness of God and the mercy, surely they will follow me. He speaks of them as sheepdogs to the sheepfold. And when you sing the line of that song, your, your goodness is running after me. Truly, like a sheepdog, his goodness is running after me and you, guiding us and, and, and narrowing us onto the path of blessing and peace. Isn't it good to know uh, that God is so good to me and you? He's good. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in the Old Testament minor prophet called Malachi. All right? And now, I don't assume everybody in here was in Bible drills. I wasn't. Uh, one of the reasons was these big old hands. And uh, now I'm down to one, so it's really a mess. Uh, and I feel awful accomplished this morning because Tina's out of town. And I got dressed by myself today. How about that? Hallelujah. I'm making progress. Thank you for your prayers, okay? But if you need to, look in the table of contents in your, in your Bible. It'll show you right where Malachi is. We're not giving out awards to how fast you can find it. And uh, we're not looking down on anybody that needs to look in the table of contents. It's why it's there. And so you're amongst friends. and Nobody's going to look down on you. Find that place. Find Malachi. We're going to be in the very first chapter. Now, as you're making your way there, let me explain a little bit about Malachi, what a prophet is. Remember, the Bible is divided, if you will, into an Old Testament and a New Testament. The word testament is the same word as the word covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties, right, where both people have responsibilities. God is a covenant God. He likes to be in covenant relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if we were to sum it up, we would say one word that would come to mind would be law, right? You would think about a law based on uh, covenant based on law, and man's ability to live that law was obviously flawed from the fall in the garden. So he could not hold our end of the covenant agreement, okay? So God put in an instituted and a sacrificial system in the Old Testament where animals would be sacrificed and that would be an offering unto God. You say, why are you telling us all this? Well, this is not gonna make sense to you today if I don't give you a little background, okay? That'd be all right? Rather than an intro story, I'm giving you intro background so you know what's going on, okay? <clears throat> now, 
a prophet in the Old Testament. Now, he's not minor because he wasn't important. Uh, we call him the minor prophets only because the, the length of the prophetic word is short, right? It's not a long book. It's a short book. So that's why it's called a minor prophet, okay? Malachi was the last word from God, okay, before the angels came to announce the, the pregnancy of both, uh, uh, you remember, Elizabeth with John and Mary with Jesus, Okay, so 400 years, this word is spoken. And then after this word is spoken, 400 years of silence from heaven. This is the last word God spoke to his people until Jesus Christ and John were born. All right, everybody kind of caught up. <clears throat> Feel like you know a little bit about what's going on. Now listen, because the room's getting bigger, not mean we're not gonna participate and interact with each other, okay? Y'all gotta say, yeah, this is yes, all right? This is no. When you stare at me, I think you're thinking about lunch and it throws me off, okay? So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's word. And we're going to read, listen to this, the entirety of chapter one. How about that? Somebody saw, man, we picked the wrong Sunday to come. <clears throat> All of chapter one, Malachi chapter one, there are 14 verses, 14 verses. We can make it as we get started this morning. Now, remember a prophet in the Old Testament was a mouthpiece for God. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the people on God's behalf. The people would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would speak to God on their behalf. Does that make sense? Okay, gives you a little clarity about what's going on. Old Testament, way before Jesus. Here's the last word he said before, before Jesus came. All right, beginning in verse number one. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. <clears throat> now, this is God speaking through Malachi to his people. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. <clears throat> Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is what God says in response, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness <clears throat> and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his mother. If then I am the father, the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled food on my altar. But this is what you say. In what way have we defiled you? This is how you did it, by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Now, notice that God is referring to himself as the, as the Lord of our angel armies. Host is a, a, a commander-in-chief type of term, okay? Verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you. Boy, that's a haunting phrase, isn't it? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the, oh, the nations, the Gentiles. I thought the Gentiles were only in the New Testament. 
Hmm, interesting. We'll come back to that. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. And he's talking to his people. In that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. This is the question he asks. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am, y'all help me, a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared, help me out, among the nations. All right, let's bow for a word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we thank you this morning for the power and authority of your word. We thank you, Lord, that this first Sunday of the beginning of a new year, first day of the week, we ask you, Lord, to set the tone in our hearts. And God, may we find ourselves humbled under the authority of your word. Now, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of a culture who doesn't know really what truth is and our own minds who are easily tricked, God, would you speak truth from heaven? Father, I pray that you would help me in the weakness of my voice and frailty of my mind, that you would help me today by the power of your spirit and the gift of preaching. And Father, that as you do it, you'd put on display before the people, you can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. And Father, as you do that, would you also preach to me? And would you write the message on the tablet of our hearts? And Father, may we be as children, sons and daughters, nestled up to the table, listening for a word from our Heavenly Father. Speak to us now, God, we're listening. And may we be transformed by it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now we're going to rewind and go back to the beginning, okay? And let me also say this. I need to make an apology to you. Uh, I've been mentioning these QR codes for a while and telling you on the back of your chairs, every other one had one. And I found out this week that they weren't. So I've been lying to you. And so uh, not, not on purpose, but I was lying nonetheless. So please forgive me, but also notice there are now a yellow QR code uh, on the chairs around you. And if you're our guest today, if you scan that with your phone, just help us to have a little more information so that we can minister to you. We don't just want to say, hey, and, and, and shake hands on Sunday morning. We want to be what the church is supposed to be. So help us out by doing that, okay? Uh, now let's dive back into Malachi. Remember, minor prophet, before uh, Jesus came, he's giving this word of repentance, if you will, a changing of heart. Notice that the next word he speaks through a prophet would be the prophet John, John the Baptist, right? And John's going to come in his ministry. His message is one of repentance. Interesting, isn't it? That God would, uh, by the way, didn't that sound a little bit like a sledgehammer kind of word uh, that we read through there? Is he saying you this and you that and you this? Well, what we're going to do today is talk about, here's the message. The message is titled worship worthy of the King. Okay. Worship worthy of, and I want you to make sure that you write in your notes, the King, not a King. Worship worthy of the King. <clears throat> all right. And the main idea of the passage this morning, and that is, you say, what is the main idea? If you were to narrow all that down into one phrase, here's what it would be. God deserves excellent worship. That's pretty simple, isn't it? God deserves excellent worship. Y'all agree with me? That's pretty simple. All right. So simple, simple thought, but at the same time, it's not very common in uh, our day and time. Let me just say that in my life and your life. So let's dive into what he has to say. God deserves excellent worship. Number one, I want to show with you about five. How about that? About five things today. Uh, that I want to highlight from the text. First is found in verses one through five. And I want us to look at the motivation for excellent offering. Okay. 
the motivation for excellent offering. Before Malachi, or let me, let me go higher up the chain, before God through Malachi can begin to scold them, and did you notice he scolded them about verse 6 through about verse 9? Anybody out there? Y'all awake today? Yes, you notice he scolded them pretty, pretty hard. All right, before we get to the scolding in 6 through 9, he sets the motivation for what should be the right response, okay? So he's gonna, before he tells them this is what you're doing, he's gonna say this is why you should be doing something different. Two things, all right? Two things he's gonna highlight, and I wanna highlight them for you. Now, the, today the challenge is going to be taking some application from thousands of years ago and crossing over the bridge to 2024 to my life and your life. But I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you, this is absolutely applicable to my life and to your life today, okay? So what are the two things? Look back with me. I want to highlight a couple of verses in this first part of the passage. I want you to look with me first in verse number two. Verse number two. Write this down. The motivation for excellent offerings. The first motivation is the love of God. Would you write that down? The love of God. Okay. Listen to what God says to his people through Malachi. Before he begins to say, you've not been offering me excellent worship. You've not been offering me excellent offerings. Before he does that, he says, I need to remind you the motivation of why you should be. Here's what he says in verse number two. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now he's loved his people, not because they were smart or intelligent, just because he's chosen them to be his people. He uses Jacob and Esau as a, as an example there. And he's saying to them, I love you because I chose to love you. You didn't do anything special. You didn't do something magnificent. I just chose to love you. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, do you believe, okay. And I'm going to ask by show of hands this morning. Do you believe squarely in your heart, 110% positive that God loves you? I want you to raise your hand. All right. If you believe that God loves you. Okay, that's the majority of us. Thank you. You can put your hand down. And there were some hands that were not raised. And I want to say to you, don't feel like you're something wrong with you or that you're in some sort of strange minority because I, at times in my life, have also questioned whether or not God loves me. Let me ask this question of the group. How many of you have ever questioned whether or not God loves you? Raise your hand. How about that? Same group that's sure that God loves them is still has had some season of their life when they have questioned whether or not God loves me and you. Here's the good news about the gospel. I love reading in the New Testament that when the disciples are on the boat with Jesus and the storm is raging, you remember, and Jesus is taking him a little nap. You know, says so he's got his head on a pillow and he's taking a little nap and the waves are crashing over. They're about to sink and the disciples go and wake him up. You remember what they ask him? Don't you even care about us? Don't you even care that we're about to perish? And so the disciples also had times when they questioned whether or not God loved them. And so the people, he's saying to them, listen, <clears throat> the motivation for excellent worship should be my great love for you. That's what God is saying to them. Now let's take it to the New Testament context and let me give you a verse of scripture, okay? Write this in your notes somewhere and you can go back and study a little more a little later. The book of Romans, as Paul recorded in Romans 5 and verse number 8. Write it down somewhere in your margin there. Romans 5 and verse 8. Listen to what Paul says as he describes the love of God for you and for me, the Jew and the Gentile. Here's what he says. Read along with me. Y'all read out loud with me, if you will. But God, help me, demonstrates, which means that God doesn't just say, hey, I love you, because sometimes talk is cheap. Come on, somebody. Uh, God demonstrates. He shows. How did he do it? In that, come on, y'all help me. While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. So how do I know that God loved me? Because sometimes in the circumstances of the day, you know, like a stormy sea or, or, or a failing marriage or, or, or failing health 
or, or rebellious children or, or some mean somebody who's harming us in ways that nobody else could, we begin to wonder, God, do you, do you love me? And we start looking at our circumstances as God's way of proving his love to us. Friend, listen, God is not trying to prove that he loves you through your circumstances. He's already proven it. Amen. How do I know? We look back to the cross of Jesus Christ as a daddy. I can tell you, there's nothing I love on planet earth more than I love my children. Anybody else to say that as a dad, a mom, a grandma, a granddad, nothing on planet earth. I love like I love my children. I've always said, man, I, God changed my heart and transformed me years ago. But man, you fool with my children. There's a whole different side of me that you'll find out, right? Amen. You're tracking with me. And so here he is God who loved mankind, who was in their sin, who we were in our, he didn't say when you get right down there, Drew, I'm going to love you. And then I'll send my son. No, no. While we were still sinners. We weren't looking for him. We were doing our own thing, living our own way. Mankind was not saying, oh, I hope God comes to rescue us. We were pining and erring away in sin. And God in his great love gave not gold, not silver, which we all kind of hold in high regard, but much more so. He gave the only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you and I could be forgiven. Listen, you ever want to question whether or not God loves you? Close your eyes and picture Jesus' bloody, battered body hanging on the cross for you. It's the greatest exclamation of love that mankind has ever seen. This is the only king who does not require the life of his subjects, but instead gives his life so that his subjects can be set free. And so today I want you to understand something. If you don't hear anything else I have to say today, know this, God loves you greater than anybody in here can possibly understand. People ask me sometimes, you think God loves you? I said, no, he does. First of all, he puts up with me because if I had the choice, I'd get rid of me. I tell my wife all the time, I wish you'd be stuck with me 24 hours. You can't believe how hard it is. But God loves me right where I am, and he's with me always. And he loves you. And I, listen, I know you may be going through some hard circumstances and situations, but I promise you this. There's a God in heaven who, who spared not his only son so that you could know him. Not just go to heaven, but have the Holy Spirit to comfort you and guide you in this life. Okay, I'm trying to move on, but boy, I could preach this whole message on the love of God. And so let me move on. Uh, the motivation for their worship to be excellent should be, number one, y'all help me, the love of God. And how do we know it? The cross of Jesus Christ. I want to give you another verse of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. Paul said, for the, y'all read with me, for the love of Christ, here's the key word, compels us. So, so that's why I chose the word motivation, right? The, the motivation for excellent worship. Uh, Old Testament, God was saying to his people, you know I've loved you. You can look back on my track record. I've, I've delivered you. Uh, you've turned away from me. I've sent rescuers. Uh, you've gone into bondage. I've helped you. I've been with you all along the way. Uh, you give me every reason to give up on you, but I've never given up on you. And you know I love you. Me and you uh, are not like the people of Malachi's day. We can say, we look to the cross and say, I know that God loves me because look what he did for me on the cross. And it ought to, listen, the word compel means to motivate to action. Okay. So it's the motivation for excellent worship. What is it? Number one, the love of God. Number two, number two in verse five of Malachi chapter one. Anybody else having as much fun as I am this morning? Man, in my voice, so hold on, we're fixing to get down, y'all. <clears throat> all right, look with me, verse number five, okay? So going through all of what he talks about choosing uh, to love them like he chose Jacob, all right? Number, verse number five says, and your eyes shall see. Now notice what he says, Edom, the enemies of God, are going to say, we're going to build up anyway. We're going to do our own thing. And God says, they're going to go ahead and build up, but I'm going to tear that down. And you're going to notice and see, listen to what he says in verse number five, your eyes shall see, and you're going to see something that's going to make you say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. 
What's he speaking here of? The magnitude of God. So the motivation for excellent worship should be number one, the love of God, but number two, the magnitude of God. Now let me ask you something, okay? The magnitude of God. If I was to ask you today to find a place uh, you could write something and you'd write this question down, okay? Write this question down. The question would be, how big is God? All right? Take just a minute to think about that. How would you put that in a sentence structure? God is very big. (laughs) God is, y'all help me out. What would you say? God is enormous. God is, y'all help me. What would you say? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, HBL, you know, right? I mean, I mean, here's what I want you to understand. No matter what we think we have grasped about the magnitude of God, we've missed it because he's bigger than anything our imagination could ever conjure up. And so what he's saying to them is that he is so magnificent. He is bigger. He's not just the God of Israel. He said, you're going to see that I'm the, I'm the God of all things. And the magnitude of God ought to cause us to worship him. Now, I want to share with you a place in the scripture that really speaks to my heart in this area. And it comes from the gospel of Luke. Okay. And so I want you to write Luke in your, in your, in your notes there, Luke chapter one, verse number 74. Now, listen to what I'm talking about. I'm talking about here the magnitude of God. Do, do you think that you really uh, live your life in awe of God? I'm afraid I, I, I don't live enough of my life in awe of God. Anybody else in my, in my camp? Uh, matter of fact, there are some days in my life that I treat God just like another one of my friends. Matter of fact, I, I've said this often to you before. Uh, there's nobody else in our life that we could treat like we treat Jesus and they still love us like he loves us. And so I want you to think about, have I, have I really considered the magnitude of God in the plans of my life, in the, in the, in the steps of my day, in, in, in what I want to accomplish before my time is up? Because by the way, you're on, a, you're on a timer and it's ticking, buddy. I'm telling you, it's ticking. And so what do I want to accomplish with the time that he's given me? So let's consider the magnitude of God. Listen to this verse, Luke 1 and 74. Now this is Zacharias. This is John the Baptist's daddy, and he is prophesying uh, before the birth of John and Jesus, okay? And he says some things about Jesus and some things about John, but here in Luke 1, 74, he says something about Jesus, that Jesus is going to defeat them and deliver them from the hand of their enemies, and here's the purpose, verse 74, read with me, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, here it is, you ready? Might serve him without fear. Now, listen to what he's saying. Because of the magnitude of his power to deliver me from my enemies, God is going to give me, the word grant means to give you a privilege. And the privilege he's going to give me and you is that we might serve him. Now, let me tell you, our Western way of thinking don't line up with that. We, we think this way in America. If I serve you, you're the one who's privileged. And so it's because we have a high idea of ourselves and a low idea of God. And if God could help us this morning to have a higher idea of God, we would get a much better view of ourselves and we would see serving the Lord, not as an obligation, not as weariness, but as a privilege that God would let somebody like me serve him. Do you see the difference? Do you see what he's pecking away at? He's saying to them, listen, uh, he's about to scold them. But before he does, he says, I want to remind you, the reason you ought to be doing different is because my love for you is so great. And my the magnitude of my character is so big and so enormous and so large that you can't even dream it up in in your imagination. All right, let me move forward if I can. Going back to verse number six of Malachi chapter one. All right. So what we're going to look at next, we saw the motivation for excellent offering. What were they? They were two. Y'all help me. Number one, 
the love of God. Number two, the magnitude. Listen to y'all. Boy, I'm telling you, it's great when all everybody participates. The magnitude of God, okay? That ought to motivate excellent worship. But what has been their response? It's an absurd response. Now, you know what the word absurd means? Anybody? Ridiculous, right? Anybody ever respond to you absurdly? Uh, sometimes that on, the, on 49 when they were still in the construction. Anybody ever respond to you, all, I mean, uh, absurdly? Huh? I, I, I look over sometimes and I didn't even see the person. They're waving their hand and showing me their number one finger and all that. And I'm like, man, that's absurd. We ain't even had a conversation. What's going on, you know? And uh, I, I, I've seen some absurd responses, haven't you? But none more absurd than what God's people have responded in worship to his great love and his great magnitude. Listen to what he says. Let's read along. This is going to be found in, in verses uh, uh, 6 through 10, okay? The absurd response. There's two particular areas we're going to look at, all right? Number one, number one, two, two particular absurd responses. Number one, his children dishonored him. His children dishonored him. Look in verse number 6. A son <clears throat> honors his father. Do you all agree with that statement? Uh, I, I watch dads and sons, and I would say that my sons, uh, Riley and Marco, both, they, they honor me. They'll do things for me. I, I've watched many of you, dads and your sons, and uh, I think about, uh, I think about uh, Rusty and, and, and Matthew and how uh, getting to hang out with them, so I'm watching Matthew honor his daddy. It's, it's, a, it's a natural thing when a daddy's been a good daddy that a son in response honors his dad, you see. And so God is saying it's a logical thing that you would, you would honor your daddy. But notice what the, the Jewish teachings oftentimes had a certain style of going lesser uh, to greater. You with me? So he's saying, uh, in the lesser relationship of me and my dad, I honor him. I'm supposed to do that. It makes sense to me to do that. But in the greater relationship between me and the father, I should honor him so much more. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So listen to what he says here in verse number six. Uh, he says, oh, my page turned on me. Verse number six, as son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am, y'all help me, if I am the father, where's my honor? And so they've been dishonoring him. And I'll tell you as a daddy and a granddaddy, it's nothing more painful than when your children dishonor you, you know? And we've all done it. We've all dishonored our, wouldn't you agree with me? And y'all looking like your, your kids dishonored you? Sure. They're humans. And I dishonored my mom and daddy. How many of you in here would say that there was a time you rolled your eyes at your mom and dad at least once? Raise your hand. And you remember the first time the little rascals learned to roll their eyes? You know, they roll their eyes, and you think, man, who taught you that? You're three. I, you can't eat yourself. You don't know where the bathroom is. I have to take you to the bathroom, and you're rolling your eyes at me, you know? Um, or, or, or when they do something outside of what you've told them is going gonna, is gonna to help them, and they choose another way, and it, and it, and it dishonored your, your wisdom, and, your, and, your, and then it cost them, right? And this, it's a painful. Can you imagine how much more? how much more painful it must be to our heavenly father with his great love and his great magnitude that when you and I dishonor him by how we live our lives. And so what he goes on to say to them in verse number six, and if I'm the master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. And remember in this particular context, he's speaking to the priest because as the priest went, so went the people. And this is during Nehemiah's day, and he's, he's striving to bring his people back, but he's telling them there's something wrong in their hearts because they've not set God in the right position. They've not honored him with their lives. By the way, here's a statement you need to remember somewhere. When we honor God with our life, God honors our lives. Have you found that to be true? 
Uh, how many of you have lived a, 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 let's just say a different way in the past. And then you started living his way and you immediately began to reap the benefit. Come on, somebody of honoring God and him honoring your life. It's amazing to me how quickly God honors our lives. So we say an absurd response is that his children dishonored him. But look at verses seven through 10. And what I want you to write in your notes there uh, under this absurd response, dishonoring him, number one. Number two, God is not pleased with costless offerings. Wow. God is not pleased, help me out y'all, with costless offerings. Now, someone said to me, man, I, I know why Hickory Ridge is growing because you, you're probably preaching all those easy messages and positive thinking. And I said, well, no, you probably hadn't been, have you? You ought to come visit. Well, we preach it from cover to cover, you know, the hard parts, the easy parts and everything in between. And so today it's a little more hard, a little more difficult. Why? Because, well, we're, this is so us. And notice I didn't say it's so you. I said it's so us. And I believe when I woke up this morning, I woke up this morning, the first thought I had was, man, I got to get dressed by myself. <laughs> the second thought I had was, I can't wait to preach this message because it has the power to transform where we are to where we need to be. And who's the beneficiary of it? We are. And who gets the glory for it? God does. And man, that's worth getting up and going. You know, you follow me? That's worth getting up and, you know, buttoning your pants with one hand. It's a neat thing. And, uh, and coming on into the house of the Lord. All right. So number two, God is not pleased with costless, cheap, offering. Let me show you. Verse number seven. He says, this is how you've dishonored me. You've offered defiled food on my altar, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? Now, remember priests in the old Testament offered sacrifices and offerings unto God. Okay. And he says, you've offered leftovers, the table of the, and, and, and listen to what he says in verse number seven, by saying the table of the Lord is detestable or contemptible. In other words, their actions have proven that they don't honor the table of the Lord and not honoring the table of the Lord means you don't honor the Lord. Same way that if you don't honor the church of the Lord, you don't honor the Lord. It's the same. And so verse number eight, and when you offer, listen to this, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, listen to the question he asked. Is it not, you look at verse eight, is it not evil? So you can imagine a man in this particular time that Malachi is speaking to, God has said to them, now let me remind you how much I love you and how big I am. And now let's talk about what you've been offering me. So he says, some of y'all have been going out into your pasture and you're, you raise sheep and that's how you make money. And of course the best sheep bring in the most money. If you don't understand that, nod your head. Yes. I know you're still awake. All right. So you go into your flock and you're looking, you're saying, now the Lord requires an offering. Let me decide what I'm going to offer. You pick up the first little lamb. He's a male. He's the firstborn. He's spotless. And your first thing you think is how much money you can make on this particular lamb. So you set this lamb down, you pick the next lamb up and you look at him and he looks really good. Now he's not the first one, but he looks really good. You know, he can fetch a good price at market. And so you set that one down. And all the while, what you don't realize is happening is that man, that woman, that person is in that moment evaluating who's higher, me or God, who's worth more, me or God. And so as they go along, they finally find one over here that can't see it stumbling around. It can't walk. It's obvious that it can't see. And immediately, immediately the shepherd knows, hey, I can't get the, the, the owner knows I can't get any money for this one. So I'll just sacrifice this one because it's not going to cost me anything. It, it looks like, listen, it looks like throwing our leftovers at God. And I'm, 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 
I'm sad to tell you today that there are days in my life when I give God my leftovers. And I'm, I'm probably stepping out on a limb here. I'm probably stepping out on a limb here, but I believe probably you're a lot like me. And there are days in your life, come on somebody, that you're offering God what's left over of your time, what's left over of your money, what's left over of your talents, the things that you're good at. What's left over? You know, if I can fit it into doing what I want to do, and, and, and if God can still fit into that somewhere, then, then great and fine. But if not, I, I'm not willing to pay the cost. And so that has been their response. They've, let, me, let me read a little further along. He says, and, and continuing in verse number eight, and when you offer the lame, some of them can't walk. Well, this is one. I can't get any money for this one. He can't walk. Well, this one's sick. He's going to die anyway. So we'll just offer this one as a sacrifice. And the question God asks them, that is, he's telling them that that's not, just a, that's not just being frugal. He called it, come on, y'all help me. He called it evil. So it's evil when you and I choose to give God what's left over in our lives. Now, we go on to read the rest of that verse. He said, would, he said, try giving that to your governor and see what he thinks. Would he be pleased with you? Would he be favorable? Verse nine. But then he says, you want to entreat my favor. You want me to have favor on your life. And honor your life when you're not honoring me, uh, that he may be gracious to us. He says, you, you're wanting this while this very thing is being done. You're, giving the, you're, you're bringing blind sheep in here and lame sheep. When I've already told you, it has to be the perfect lamb. And God says, you're looking at me like I'm just another one of your friends or I'm just an option. And some of us in here are living our lives as he's just another friend or he's just an option. We can fit him in if he fits in. If he doesn't fit in, well, that's fine too. We go on, he goes on to say in verse 10, who is there among you? who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar. He said, he said, I'd rather you stop offering sacrifices than to give what you're giving because it's just a game. It's a pretense. You're playing like you're worshiping me, but you're really not. And so worship is worth-ship. And the action, the proof is in the action, right? What someone is worth to me, I'm going to show by my actions. As a matter of fact, we say it this way a lot of times. What I love to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to make a way to do what I love to do. I'm going to make a way to be with the people that I love and value, right? So he's saying that they were not valuing him. They were not honoring him. Now, let me give you, uh, as we go on along, uh, he's not pleased. Verse number 10, listen to what he says in response. In verse number 10, he says, I have, I don't know about you, but as a child of God, this, this hurts me to even say, he says, I have, y'all help me, no pleasure in you. As a son, I wanted my mom and dad to have pleasure in me. Did anybody else that way? Wanted mom and dad to value the things that you did and acknowledge what you did. You wanted to add value to their lives. You wanted to help them. You wanted to be a blessing to them, not be a curse to them. And, 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 and so he's, what he's saying, you see how that unfolds there. He's saying, he's saying, I don't know, but can you imagine if God would look down at my life and say, I have no pleasure in you because you're playing a game. You're saying with your mouth that I'm, that I'm Lord, but, but you're giving me your leftovers. I only fit in on, the, you know, here and there. And, and so it's something we need to really consider today. All right, now let's look for just a minute at the right response. Okay, verse 11. Number three, the right response. So far, we've looked at the motivation for excellent offerings. They were two. Help me, somebody. The love of God and the magnitude of God. We saw an absurd response. What was it? They dishonored him, and we learned that God is not pleased with costless offerings. Okay, Number three, now let's look for just a minute, verse 11, at the right response. You see verse 11? By the way, is this starting to make sense to you, this passage? When you read through the first time, were your head kind of spinning? 
It's like, what in the world are we talking about? Okay, good. I'm glad. That's why we're here. All right. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. And here it is, pure offerings. He's saying, here's what it ought to look like. It ought to be when a person comes to know the love of God and the magnitude of God, his power, his majesty, that a natural response is, I want to offer a pure offer. I want to give him my very best, not because the preacher guilted me, not because I'm trying to give as much as Joe gave, but because God is so loving and so powerful. I want to give my time, my talent, my treasures unto his name. That's what it all looked like. That's the right response. God says, my name shall be great. Let me read. I'm in, I'm in the verse 11. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. Now watch this. So when you and I live a life of excellent worship, right? Costly offerings, people around us began to assign weight to the name of the God we serve. If he doesn't mean anything to you, he's not going to mean anything to them. Your, your, your message about him is not going to mean anything to them. If they see your life uninterrupted by him, listen to me say that again. If they see your life uninterrupted by God, you might as well save time and not share anything about Jesus with them. You tracking with me? Because he interrupts it. Man, he interrupts it in a major, major way. And so the world is looking for hope. And when they see me and you worshiping, listen, and, and I'm not preaching a message today that says you've got to try harder to worship. Because that's living by the law and it'll kill you. But what I'm preaching today is you've got to draw near so that you can get to know personally the love of God and experience through prayer and relationship the power of God. And then worship, excellent worship becomes a natural byproduct. Anybody, anybody here this morning? Amen. You're hearing what I'm, what I'm laying down. All right, let me just kind of read along a little further. And we're going to close this thing in just a couple of verses. All right, number four, the question to ponder. Now, this is going to sting a little bit, all right? Sort of like when they told me I had to lay my wrist flat to get that x-ray. Yeah, huh? you with me? It was necessary, but it was pain. Let me tell you something. It was painful. All right. So a question to ponder, what is it? Verse 12 and 13. So far, God has set the evidence to the people, his love and his magnitude, that they should be worshiping him excellently. He's presented the indictment against them that they have been worshiping him very poorly with leftovers. He's shown them what the right response should look like. And now he's going to give them a question that they need to ponder. Maybe you'd write it somewhere in your notes. Let me read verse 12 and 13. But you profane it. He says, the Gentiles are going are gonna to bring honor and glory to my name by their pure offerings, but you profane it. With what? With these leftover offerings. The table of the Lord is defiled and it's fruit. It's food is contemptible. Look at verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness. So, so not only are they giving the lambs that aren't costing them anything, they're pretending like it's such a burden. Uh, you know, uh, oh, I don't have any money and I don't have anything, so I'm just going to, I'm going to kill me to give this blind lamb. And he said, you're, you're, you're saying it's weariness. See, see, a person that has never truly experienced the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ in their life personally will never serve the Lord. Listen, will never serve the Lord excellently because they're always thinking about what is costing them, what else they could be doing. But when a person has truly experienced the love of Christ in their life, that God has forgiven their sin and come to live inside of them, all of a sudden that person begins to worship the Lord with their lives and says, here's my life, God, take it, do whatever you want to do. Use me wherever you want to use me, however you want to use me. 
And it's not wearisome. It's not burdensome. Matter of fact, listen to this. It's a joy. You begin to say, God's granted me the privilege to gather with the people of God and worship and praise his name together. Let me read verse 13. And you bring the stolen. Now listen, he says, can you imagine? I, I'm going to give an offering and I'm going to give my offering to the Lord, but I'm going to go over to uh, Jim's house uh, and I'm going to steal his lamb. And then I'm going to say, now here's my lamb. I got a good lamb. Matter of fact, even a perfect lamb, but it's Jim's lamb. That didn't cost me anything. Matter of fact, not only did I break the command to get it, but then I'm all, see, see, it's a game. It's like playing a game. Like God can't see everything I do and God doesn't know the motivation of my heart. It's like playing a game, you know, pretending like he's there, but not really believing he's there. All right, let me conclude if I could, all right? So we see the question to ponder. What is it? The end of verse number 13. Here's the question. Y'all reading with me? Should I, here's what God says. After all the evidence is laid out, my love for you, my magnitude of power, who I am, and how you've been giving me your leftovers. Here's the question. Should I, y'all reading with me? Should I accept this from your hand? I just want you to think about that question. Maybe write it down somewhere. Spend some time today thinking about it. What I wrote in my notes is this. Should God accept my leftovers? I wrote that down. Now listen, I, didn't, I, I might as well spare the writing the ink on the paper. Because I believe it's a rhetorical question, don't you? And I believe in light of the love of God displayed in the cross where his son died for me, and in light of the power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead and has transformed me from a former bouncer to a preacher of the gospel, then it only makes sense to me that God should not accept my leftovers. Anybody else would say today that as you look at the evidence of who he is, his love for you and his magnitude, that you've determined in your chair right now where you're seated or listening out there that God should not accept your leftovers. Slip your hand up in the air if you believe that to be true. He should not accept our leftovers. Okay, so a question to ponder, should he accept our leftovers? Here's a little, I just want to give you a little insight to what I wrote down in my notes. I wrote this, after I have given and done all I want to do, should God accept whatever measly time and resource I throw his way? Uh, you, you remember the word, uh, used to be that people, and I know some people still do, we, we fed our dogs growing up. Mia doesn't get that now, but, but growing up, we fed our dogs from the leftovers. Do y'all remember that? Some of you still do that. We would call them, we didn't always say leftovers, though. we had another word for them. Scraps. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that there are days in my life, I'm afraid there are days in my life when I offer a God who loved me more than anybody will ever love me, who's the only one powerful enough to change me, I'm afraid some days I give him scraps. And I'm, I'm standing before you and, and I'm in repentance to say, God, I don't, I don't want that to be the rest of my story. Now, I don't know if anybody else in the room would join me in that, but I don't want that to be the rest of my story for the rest of my days. I, I believe with all my heart, God's brought me and you in here the first Sunday of the year to say to us, hey, I want, to re I want you to be, remember how much I love you and how powerful I am and live in response to that. Live in response to that. Let me conclude to the reasonable answer, all right? Number five, and finally, you thought we'd never get there, didn't you? Some of y'all are wishing my voice would go on out. Number five, the reasonable answer. The question to ponder and the reasonable answer, okay? Verse 14, listen to what he says. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. W what's he talking about here? Who's he deceived? He's not deceived God. He's only deceived himself. 
And he has had the pretense that God can't see his best. And he's of the uh, persuasion that he's giving God his best. He's vowing or promising to give God his best, but it's not his best at all. He's got a male sheep back there hidden in the sheepfold, and he thinks God can't see it. And a person who lives that way will live under the curse. It won't be a blessing. Then he concludes by saying, uh, but sacrifice to the Lord was blessed. He says, for why? For I am, help me somebody, a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared. Help me somebody, please, among them all over the world. Now I'm going to conclude with, with two verses of scripture in the gospel according to Luke. Write in your notes. All right. And then we'll conclude. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Listen closely to what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, you ready? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. You see, in order to follow Jesus, we have to leave some things behind. In order to follow Jesus, it's going to cost us some things. It'll never cost us a thing that we need. It'll never tell, steal from us or cost us our peace or our joy or our patience, our kindness, our gentleness, our long-suffering, uh, our self-control. It won't, it won't cost us those things. It'll only cost us those things that hinder us. Let me just conclude Luke 14 and verse 33. Listen to what he says. So likewise... Jesus, again, whoever of you does not forsake all, help me somebody, all that he has cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? We should all give all of our money away and be paupers living in the streets of downtown Jackson? Oh, no. He's just saying that what we have is accessible to him. That what we have is used for his glory. What he's saying is that in our lives, and notice what he's saying in Luke 14, there's a discourse where Jesus is talking about counting the cost. Most people, when they come to Jesus, they never hear anybody say, now listen, you understand if you're confessing Christ, you better count the cost. That's what he's talking about in Luke 14. He says, what person building a tower is not going to count the cost? Because if he doesn't count the cost, he'll have enough money to pour the foundation and get some of the structure up and not finish him. People will mock him and make fun of him because he didn't count the cost. The second illustration he uses in Luke 14, he says, what king, if he's going at war against another king, doesn't first evaluate if he's got enough soldiers, because if he don't got enough soldiers, he's going to get his tail kicked, and he goes ahead and goes and sends some delegates and makes peace. What he's saying is this relationship with Jesus is not just a simple prayer and a Sunday morning here and there. It's an everyday personal relationship where the master speaks and gives and directs, and we follow now, what I want to do this morning is invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. I know I'm surprised as you are that we're out of time. And I want to just ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. And I want to say this. I want to say, uh, I, I want you to, well, first let me ask this question, okay? Uh, and would you bump the house lights up just a little bit? But, what, but I want to ask you to have your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to ask a question of the group. And, and I want to show a hands here, okay? So I know how to pray. When I mentioned earlier about questioning the love of God. If you're here today and there's some circumstance, some situation, nobody's looking around, everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and, and you came in today with a little bit of doubt, a little, little concern, wondering, you know, maybe just a fleeting thought, does God really love me? I want you to slip your hand up. Nobody will know but me. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Hands all over the place. Lord Jesus, would you communicate to the hearts of these people by your Holy Spirit? And Father, would you remind them that you're not trying to tell them you love them by their circumstances. You've already proven it. Father, I pray right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I pray right now you'd give us all a picture of Jesus. 
battered and broken, hanging on the cross, the greatest exclamation of love the world has ever known. Thank you today that we don't have to question that. I pray that you would rebuke Satan as he tries to convince us that you don't love us because of our circumstances. Remind us that you can take all things and use them for the good of those that love you and are called to your purpose. Now, as we're praying and talking, I'm going to pray and talk to God, then I'll talk to you. Second, maybe you're here and you don't need to be reminded of the love of God. You need to be reminded of the magnitude of God. You know, he's so much bigger than your plans. He's so much bigger than your world. He's so much bigger than your ideas. He's so much bigger than our wildest dreams. What if you and I really begin to live in awe of him? I really live each day in awe of him, that he would talk to me that he would want to meet with me, that he would want to deliver me, that he would want to give me strength, that he would want to bless my life, that he would want to use me to introduce other people to himself. I'm in awe of that. Maybe today you realize, you know what, my worship's not been what it ought to be. Let me just say that your pastor, I'm the first to say today, I'm acknowledging before God, my worship has not been as excellent as it should be. Is there anybody else here that would say that today? Just slip your hand up in the air toward heaven and say, Lord, my worship's not been as excellent as it should be. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me. Now, remember, the key is not trying harder. The key is drawing near. You see, the closer you get to him, the more you realize how much he loves you. The closer you get to him, the more you experience his power in your life. The more you know his love and his power, the more you want to worship him with all that you are. Maybe you're here and you've never truly invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And what God desires of you today is to come to him through Jesus and be saved, forgiven of your sin, made his child. He'll do it right here and right now. You know, you can do it in your chair. You don't even have to walk to the aisle to do that. Now, in a minute, you'll have an opportunity to go public. But right in your chair, right out there in the nurse's station, I know many of you are watching at home, sick, and different things. Did you know that right where you are, you could be saved? You could invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You'll have to vacate the throne. That's repentance. But if you will believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and invite him to come and be Lord, number one, he'll save you just as sure as the sun rose this morning. I want to say that the altar is open. I want to invite you to stand with me as we continue praying, making room for those brothers and sisters that may want to come to the altar. I wonder if there's a few who might come pray for the lost. I wonder if we have a single brother or a sister in the house that will come pray for lost people. I know there's some people in this room that have never given your life to Jesus. I'll tell you, there's no better time than right now. You could be saved today if you'd invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. <clears throat> Brian's down front. He'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. Brother Jimmy, Miss Renee over here to my right. Ladies, Miss Renee, would love to have the opportunity to talk with you. There are many praying for you already down front. Wouldn't you come to Jesus today? Wouldn't you give your life to Christ and be saved? If you've not been worshiping excellent, wouldn't you talk to him? Say, oh, God, forgive me. Hey, he's not mad at you. He's not up there holding a lightning bolt waiting for you to zap you. He loves you. But he's worth more than what we're giving. So let's give him our everything. Father, would you take this time of invitation and cause us to respond however your spirit's leading? And we ask it in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen.